Okay. Um, so welcome. I'm Marian Sharon, and that's my. I'm Eric Goodman. My, we are data and. Right. Okay. <laughs> I'm the data. I'm the quality. <laughs> <laughs> I spent 30 years at Intel, and um, this is my retirement job, having all kinds of fun. And um, I ran the data quality group there, from in the supply chain from '99 until 2008, to end of 2007 when I left. Um, so we kind of already talked about campus and who's got alert systems. Um, does anybody have experience with data quality, or is this a new concept? A little bit. Okay. Just coming into U the UC system, there's there's lots of room for improvement. <laughs> um, and there are there are materials in the back as well as cards. Um, little cruise alert cards, that's the name of our branded system. Um, we do use WARN, so I'll talk a little bit about kind of our system. Um, so I'll go a little a bit through um, data quality fundamentals, just like one page, um, and I will give a pitch to uh, Larry English, who wrote a book on uh, data warehouse and business information quality, which was probably one of the few people in the world that I could read it cover to cover. Um, and, and some of the concepts we also pulled from a DOD guidelines on data management, and both of those links, um, references are in the back of the material. The author, again, was Larry English. English, E-N-G-L-I-S-H. E -N -G -L -I -S -H. Um, and he does a consultant business and stuff, too. But, um, let's see. So then we'll talk um, about how to build data quality into a project, um, what we did, and what, what we learned. Kind of, I talked specifically about what Davis did, but spent a lot of time with Lane and, and Valerie before we started our, our venture. Um, then we'll go through the data flows. Where do, where do we end up pulling data from? How do we, how do we get the results that, um, that we got and what those results were? And then there's some comparisons, uh, as much as I could get from other campuses and where they're at from a completion and accuracy kind of standpoint. And then if we have time, we'll do Q&As. So hopefully that meets the uh, expectations of, the, of what you came to hear about. So from a f data quality fundamental, you'll hear me talk about the r um, records of origin, or RUs, the RUs and ROARs. Um, a ROAR is a, the record of reference. You might also see, see them as system of origin and system of record. Those terms are kind of used interchangeably. Um, it's one is, you know, where's the first electronic instance where, when data is put in? Um, you want to reuse it as much as possible, but somebody at some point probably entered it somewhere. Um, and then your record references where, where you're going to pull it from. If you have a data warehouse or, or a, um, an IDM system, which um, Eric will talk about. Um, you also want to try to reuse data as much as possible. So I know when I showed up, there was, you know, phone numbers in five different places, and it's like, okay, well, which is the one, the right one to use? And we'll kind of talk about how we figured that out and where we decided there wasn't a, an authoritative source and we just need, didn't needed to create yet another one that hopefully we can keep up to date. Um, and then the concept of continuous improvement. You're never going to have it perfect. So, you know, make sure, you know, you're pulling data, you're looking at whenever you do alert, alerts out there, there's usually some errors that come back or people that complain. I have a text messaging on my phone, but I didn't get one, you know, so digging down into that and trying to figure out what those, um, um, what, what broke, you know, if they entered it wrong, if we pulled it wrong, if it was a carrier problem. Um, and then hopefully you're, you're trying to fix those root causes via process improvements, not just cleaning the data. Because you can clean it, but you haven't really fixed what the source of the problem is. So. Um, then there's, there's uh, um, six data quality attributes, so around accuracy, you know, is it free from errors? Do you have the right data in there? Completeness, which is where we focus a lot of our um, attention was on get, making sure we could alert to everybody. Um, consistency, so we didn't, we haven't done a lot of measures of this, but we knew, you know, phone numbers and PPS were not consistent what, what, what people were putting in directories and things like that. Um, timeliness, is it out of date? We had a lot of students that were put, you know, they had phone numbers in our AIS system, but, you know, they were the phone numbers they put in before they even got admitted. So their, you know, parents' phone numbers or their old cell phone numbers and they weren't getting updated. Um, uniqueness of a record, you know, is it, is it the only instance of that or do you get duplicates, those kind of things that you don't want? They're just taking up space on your disk drive. 
um, and validity. You know, are you getting people putting in extensions? You know, if you're using a calling system, they can't use your five-digit extensions. They need the area code and the whole number. So that's a part of it, you know, is it a valid number? Are they all, you know, do they have 999s? Are they all Hollywood area codes? Um, and you'll see this a few times, you know, keep the goal in mind. On any project, if you want to have data quality or probably any kind of quality built in, you want to do it up front. You don't want to wait till you deploy, look at your data, and go, oh, what do we have to do now in Rev2? You know, we have plans for Rev2, but we, we hit most all of our goals um, out of the chute, so, or shortly after. And with that, around, you know, building data quality, you know, put, putting together the right team structure is important. So we did have um, student affairs on our team. Um, luckily, you know, they could help with a lot of the process around admissions and, and you know, what students um, put in, into our academic information system around contact information. Um, we pulled in, um, we had a staff team and a faculty team because data is kind of in different places or we didn't know so we kind of lumped those together and had a separate team for um, for the student information because there was different sources different reasons for um, that information then we had a team kind of focused on process and procedures and stress testing um, so we had people on the team representing the telephone system and the email system were you know are all part of our IT group but two different organizations um, and then we pulled in our um, our PIO group for marketing and communications, which came up with our, I should have kept the, our nice little logos in the back and the cruise alert branding and uh, did a really nice job at getting it out there and going where, where should we go talk to people um, to get some of that data complete. So again, kind of keeping that goal in mind. Um, since we're so small, if there's questions along the way, we can kind of take them, I think we'll be fine. Um, so on any project management, you want to, you know, divvy up what are the must-haves. And this was kind of a new concept to the, to the team I pulled together, which was kind of cross-campus. Interesting for me because it was my first job at UC, so I got to meet everybody all at once. But we did pull together, um, you know, what are the things that we really have to have. Um, we had a short time frame, and we'll talk about that in the next slide, but we, I really needed to know you know, what, what are the must-haves versus all the kind of scope creep? Oh, we could do this and this and this. And we said, well, what do we really want? So, And we set up some quality goals to begin with. We knew we wanted 100% of um, the RA room numbers because we wanted to be able to get to that, to the RAs if we needed to do evacuations and those kind of things. Um, we wanted student text um, messages. We wanted to be able to get a lot more um, faculty phone numbers into the system. Um, and we wanted 100% of EOC members, so um, some of those smaller groups that we could manage. So again, uh, keeping the goal in mind. Just to add something to what Marianne already said is that um, when she says that the, the data quality and setting the goals for the data quality is kind of a new concept, it was really, actually, if I recall, we had to, for the first, like, almost until the project was complete, we kept putting out, here's the proposal, here's what I'm proposing, <laughs> New concepts. And then we, you know, broke it down into what were highly desirable, and then we kind of put an effort. This last column was effort. So even though it w they weren't must-haves, there was a few things that we knew we could do with existing capability, um, and we just slid those into our first phase. Um, and then the ones that were going to be harder to do, like emergency contacts for, for students, like who do we contact if something happens to them, in those contexts, we, that didn't wasn't anywhere, and we didn't capture that in. And our emergency our emergency manager wasn't sure he wanted to be contacting parents and those kind of folks. So um, we let him make you know he was the campus emergency manager, so he's the Valerie's counterpart. We let he had that was up to him to make those kind of decisions. But we didn't include those. But it was nice to separate those, and we got us to not talk about them again. It's like no, we'll we'll do those later. So from a high-level project standpoint, we kind of got the charge le letter in, in March. I started in February. Um, we knew our first target, there was going to be an AIS release in July on July 1st, and that was going to be the last one they were going to do through September. So we knew if we had to make any changes for the student records, we needed to get those into that release. So that was a, a big part of our early effort. 
um, was to get that figured out and then we'll figure out the, the staff and faculty part later. Um, and we found one of the things that really helped us was um, getting in front of um, when, when all the parents and the students were coming during the summer for the tours um, to really get the message out there. As then we had them sign up at the same time and we had an 85% completion rate for all the new freshmen right out of the box. So I think that was a lot because their parents were going, you better sign up in there. We want you safe. So um, this is around security of students. This is a security conference, so that was kind of our tie. Um, and then from the returning students, you know, they had gotten those emails in August during the summer. Go in, there's a new thing, put it in your, put it in your cell phone. But when, we, when, um, when they got there, we were only at about a 4% 4%, um, 4 completion rate from a student standpoint um, on returning students. And we got that to 98% um, eventually. And we have, I think the, the parentheses are current data, so we have 83% of all students have a cell phone mobile number in there that we can do text messaging to. 63% um, have landlines. They only have to put one or the other. Um, but they have to have a phone number. That's mandatory for them to be able to register for classes. So that um, helped a lot having the registrar on our side. And then there's an opt-out button, and I'll show you those screens. So about 2% of students so far have opted out, which is, we want, you want to kind of keep that low, but that just seems pretty reasonable. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I have, it's part of our continuous improvement plan might be to figure that out. I mean, it could be, it, the numbers aren't public, so it shouldn't be like part of the FERPA stuff. It could be they don't want text messages. You know, they do have to pay for them. So if we send, and it's the fastest way, what we found, the fastest way to get message uh, is text messaging. So um, it could be, you know, parents don't want them to get text messages or something like that. Um, well, so we'll talk about what's what was mandatory and what wasn't. So they, they opted out at least out of this, this cell phone piece. Let's see, what does it say? So here's, here's what the student screen looks like. So they get to pick, they can pick multiple cell, um, cell phone, and then we called it a local landline. It used to just be called local, and there was a mixture of cell phones and, and, land, and local landlines and parent lines and things, so we tried to separate those out because we knew we were going to pull the cell phone and turn that in text messaging. Instead of ha having them enter, everybody enter two numbers, it just seemed like the, the you know, for the, there's a high percentage, almost all cell phones now are text-enabled. I mean, it w might not have been the case 10 years ago, but um, I decided I didn't want them to enter it twice. I was trying to make it easy on people to do from an entry standpoint. Then the opt-out button's just down here. It says you will, you won't be notified at all. So I guess we we may pull them out. Do you know? I don't know. If they if they if they click the if the opt-out flag is set. If they click the opt-out flag, then we don't even send their name. Um, right, you don't get the information from them. So they opt out of the system altogether. I mean, I haven't been personalized. But right, and we'll talk. There's a few other little tricks that we have for getting to people uh, as much as we can. But there's also in any emergency notification system, there's, you know, word of mouth is worth a lot, right? So if 80% of the people, you know, cell phones go off and their, their office phones ring, the other 10% aren't going to ignore it. They're going to go with everybody else. So you don't really have to have 100% to be one successful. One is that, I don't know, maybe this would be better when, when I go up, but um, that we, we don't distinguish in the data that we send what kind of student they are. So, I mean, we, it could well be that they're, abroad students who are out of country who are opting out for all we know. I mean, we haven't, we haven't looked at that. But is that, could it be that these people don't have mobile phones? Or well, if they didn't put a number in, they shouldn't have to worry about it. So hopefully that that's not the reason, because you want them to still get an email or if they have a local phone in there to be able to get a, a call at their house or whatever. Could be people, you know, there's always, when we try in some of the marketing stuff, you know, to say, you know, these numbers, we're not making this public anywhere. This is, you know, it does go to a vendor, but they're not sending out spam. They're not going to, there's no ads involved. But there's always people that are suspicious about giving their personal information to any system, um, which is partly why you have to have an, an, an opt-out, you know, warn makes you, 
sign away, you know, saying that you will give people the option to opt out because they're legally bound to that by um, some of the do not call lists and things like that. Even though this isn't quite the same thing, um, but you have to give them that opportunity. Let's see. Oh, let me go back. Let's see. Um, so one of the other improvements we can see, we were up against that that July 1st AIS release, um, and the telephone number was just a freeform text. Um, when we look at this at the employee one, and we separated out, you know, area code prefix. And that helps a lot to get complete because one of the things that when we first looked at the student data for local data, it was all over the map of people putting in ones ahead of time, putting, you know, all kinds of data in there. So, how many, how many yeah. So we did, you know, so so analyzing what your current, you know, the quality of your current data early in your project can help you drive those improvements. And you know, at some point, um, I've asked them. That I don't think that this is original. Um, at rollout, what it looked like. So we, I do want to get it parsed, so, so people have to put that in separately. But um, but, but it looks pretty good. Um, then for um, for staff and um, and faculty, they already had a staff and faculty directory, and this is where we got our printed directory from. So they could put in whatever office phone number they wanted people to have. We decided that. Um, there, you know, there's some people that put a, put like an admin's phone number or things like that in there, so that wasn't really the best data to pull for an emergency notification system. So we created um, ta uh, different fields in the same table, so we can kind of reuse the data, some of the data that was in there, um, but created a, a place for for staff members to go ahead and and load in um, a different work phone, their personal cell phones, home numbers. We pulled in their name, um, their email, and then when we did the first load, we loaded in whatever phone number they had in the directory in the work number, but then we allowed them to change it and we didn't rewrite it. it that was a one-time dump. Um, so that then they could, in their cruise alert section, put who, where they wanted to be called at versus where they might want a student to, to call to get in touch with them or something. Um, and we did do the parsing, so, and you can only put three in here and three in there and four in there. So that helps that data quality piece. That was one one of the goals up from that first page yeah. that we you know, and we said it's it's too much trouble. So now we send them out, um, and Chris is kind of coming up with those procedures now that we've done a couple. Yeah. You know, we found that you know the text messaging is fastest, and yeah. so we'll probably do you know text messaging. Then we're trying to trying to see if Warren can pull a download of work phone numbers for people that don't have SMS phone numbers loaded. Yeah. So then we could, you know, kind of, you know, do a delta in between and do yeah. different notifications out. And they're working on that logic to see if they can put logic in. We'll show you in the broadcast system what they, how they, what we get from them every night. Um, and we also let them put a, a, an additional email, like a home email address in um, if they want. So we, we can send out, if our email system is down, we said, well, we can, that's another way of getting to people. Or if we don't want them to come to campus, you may not hit everybody, but it's just another way. And email through Warren is free anyway. So we usually so we'll send out, um, do, I think we'll probably do most all of our follow-up stuff on email. So the original alerts will go out through text messages and, or, and voice messages if needed. Um, and then the follow, and email, and then the follow-up stuff, though, will be on email. Um, what else? <laughs> um, the other order question was whether or not people should be able to select what they wanted first. And that was that was really, really too complicated to figure out in the short term. You know, either because some people would want their cell phone and some people would want a text you know, their work phone or whatever. So, um, so I'm the data. So since we're at data <laughs> flow, I'll talk for a little bit. Um, basically, so I'm the I'm the identity management systems project. I, I'm called project manager, although it's now a system. So. Um, but I, I still call, I'm still called the project manager for the identity management system. And basically, I got involved in the project because I knew where a lot of the data was from the work in the identity management system. So what, what the data flows look like, and there's, we've talked about almost everything up here already. So there's, 
AIS, and I'm sure everybody knows what PPS is and can guess the AIS system. So we have PeopleSoft for our AIS system. And we pull data into the identity management system on a nightly basis from those two systems and from, we call it the Div Data database, but it's just a database that tracks faculty separate from employees because faculty, faculty frequently show up in the academic system sooner than they show up in the payroll system. So that all gets pulled into the identity management system and the green lines are all calling about the, they're calling out the data that we thought was high quality already or at least with the improvements that, that Marianne already talked about. So uh, the phone numbers in AIS were not particularly considered to be high quality but because of the changes um, both that the registrar was implementing that you must review your phone number and um, and it was kind of, Marion just kind of glossed over it, but it was kind of a big deal to get the student, the, the whole student system to agree we want to call out cell phone separate from landline phone because that was not, that was not a separation that they ever made before and so it was just a kind of a, a guess, is this a cell phone or not? So those two changes really greatly, uh, hugely improved the quality of the data in the AIS system. And then in PPS, really, we, we, IDM, really only uses in terms of contact info, PPS to say employed, not employed. And even there, it's kind of hit or miss, but, but we have, we know how we define those. And then what the identity management system does, and this is all a pre-existing system, is we figure out which of these are the, where are the people the same, you know, make one record per person, um, assign statuses to them, and those statuses are supposed to be generally useful statuses. So then, Marion already said the online directory information, which ironically is not in the identity management system, so that's staff and faculty, phone numbers, office locations, that sort of thing. Um, that's not currently in the identity management system, and we talked about bringing it in, because we want to anyway, for purposes of this project, but it was actually, there was a big deal because emergency contact information is not general profile data, and so we kind of went back and forth quite a bit on the other data that she showed. She showed that split screen of, you know, your contact info and your emergency info, and while it made sense to get the contact info into the identity management system, it wasn't clear that it made sense to get the emergency contact info because that was more sensitive data, and, and the intent was, it was a stated intent that the information that was collected for emergency contact purposes would only be used for emergency contact purposes and we wouldn't repurpose it. So we just kept it out of the system altogether. So um, there's another programmer who's not here who basically um, works with the, the telecom group and they, they actually run both the online directory and the, um, the, Cruise, the alert. Cruise Alert Oracle table. So this is just a database table that he created, pulls data in from the identity manager. So the identity manager he's getting um, He's getting mostly status information about employees that came from PPS. The AIS system is the phone numbers. Then what identity management adds on top of that is we're authoritative for who needs email addresses and what they are. So all the campus email addresses we're authoritative for. And we're also a crosswalk because we knew he was going to be getting data from the online directory and some of these other systems. So we're a crosswalk of all the IDs. So he gets a crosswalk of IDs from us so he can make sure that he's not creating duplicate entries. Um, Marion already said that we needed the RA phone, the RA phone numbers were a critical group and we, we worked really hard to see if there was any data in PPS that could tell us pretty authoritatively who's an RA and we were able to kind of nail it down to, well these title codes, all, excuse me, all RAs are in these title codes but not all of these title codes are RAs. So we couldn't just use, there wasn't enough information in any of the source systems that we had feeds from. And so uh, student housing, which maintains its own, you know, the, uh, the residence databases, they had that info. And again, we went through the conversation of, does it make sense to pull that data into IDM? But again, mostly that was seen as an emergency purpose. So that went straight into the table. That table is updated, I believe, nightly from most of these sources. So it is all batched. And, and our reads into Identity Manager is batched. So there is a little bit of a delay in the timeliness. Um, but it's still within you know, two, two, three days of you making a data change in one of the source systems that will end up out in the, in the WARN system. So then um, we use the InConnect 
warn that that's a the product that's a product provided by the vendor of the, the emergency notification system vendor that allows you to map fields from local database tables into their database and that's the warn command on the far side um, and the warn broadcast it took me forever to understand the difference because once it got to the telecom programmer I'm no longer touching the data <laughs> but warn command tracks people and warn broadcast tracks things to call so there's actually um, there's a there's a line up at the top that says pinnacle phone I guess that's sorry I meant that for that one I'm sorry so warn command has all the people and all the groupings that the people have, like what, what category, they are, are they an employee, are they a faculty, whatnot. And then that all gets pushed into the Warren Broadcast system, and that's the thing that knows who to call, when to call. And the reason that there's another line up at the top, and I guess I'll just go ahead and talk about it. You can or I can yeah. either way. So um, that got a lot of people, but we knew in particular we were worried about, I, I think the students were an issue as well, but in particular we were worried that the penetration of staff and faculty phone numbers or even the online directory was very low. And since we run our own phone system, we and, and the programmer who was doing this work actually works in the group that manages the, the phone system, we also did just an extract, or they did, just an extract of all of the campus phones categorized by are they ResNet phones or are they campus phones straight into the Warren Broadcast system in their own groups so that there's the ability to call every phone on campus or every student phone or every staff phone number, irrespective of whether we know who actually answers that phone. So and that's where we can, we knew we, since we own those, those devices, you know, we could say, we're just going to call those. You don't have to opt in or opt out. We're, we're going to call your office phone. We own that phone. If you're there, you're going to get a and call. There's no, there's no opt out option for that at all. And I think that's mostly, there's the RA duty phones, which is really, and that's like the shared cell phone that gets handed off when RAs come on and off duty, and so they're in both places in Warren Command and Warren Broadcast, but that's, you do that manually. Yeah, which was not very hard. There's like yeah. 20 of those or something. Just to remember when the database has to be rebuilt. There were some issues where the database has been rebuilt on the vendor side, but I don't think that's really relevant here on this one. Though, so. Nah. Okay. No, what was a phase two thing to be able to separate? Wh one of the things that we didn't ha have that you would think the way UC Santa Cruz is laid out, there's like nine different colleges or ten different colleges. And a lot of off-site locations. And off-site things. And so we, w our emergency manager wanted a way of separating those, but you know, the, they weren't consistent. So mm -hmm. Pinnacle called them one thing, then there, there's, we have a facilities link, um, thing, they called them something else. There's the UCOP, um, they, ha they have a list of all buildings, yeah, but yeah, they're not yeah. grouped in the same way. So we said, we, we, in order to optimize for our timing, which is what was versus functionality, we went ahead and, and left that out and said, we'll figure that out. Yeah. Part of, I mean, part of it was just honestly the definition of a location, because, yeah. because especially. What buildings belong to which communities yeah. and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we ha yeah, so there's there's a, a couple of groups that we have manually set up, and I don't know if it's not really on. So we have the EOC, um, we have our ITS, we have our own DOC or, um, you know, Division Operations Center, which is kind of a, a EOC for I the IT group, um, and then the researchers in a separate group for when we have to do, you know, there was a, there was a alert, you know, if, if you remember back, there were some, some um, bomb fires set in some of the researchers' cars, so we wanted to be able to alert all of them that there's, you know, there's, you know, don't get in your car. <laughs> but those are so all not, those are set. Those, none of those are automated. Yeah, so right. Those are all just manually. So we kind of maintain that. How, how do we get those lists? Yeah. Well, so, so the emergency manager ha collected them for the EOC. They maintain that list anyway. Um, and then for the researchers, they did a kind of a one-time Kind of thing, and they'll probably update that on an annual basis and say who's come and gone. And again, the issue for back to data quality is there's not CPS is a payroll system, not an HR system, so you can't tell from that whether someone is an animal researcher. So we wouldn't we wouldn't even have a way to tell them these are the people you care about. 
we could just make informed guesses based on conversation with parks employees and that sort of thing. Okay. And then um, this, I, I don't know how much detail, I don't think I want to go into a lot of detail on this, but basically for each category of person that we brought in, and some of these were already talked about, there's, okay, well, the system knows about a lot of students. It knows about what, you know, applicants are a kind of student. They're not really students, but they're kind of student that we track. We track, we keep track of, is the person a served student, or have they actually started attending classes? We keep their accounts open for a short period of time after they graduate. They could be on leave. Employees and faculty can have similar kinds of, you know, they go through these life cycle stages. So what was it, what, what were we really trying to get was one of the questions. And mostly for, for with respect to what I just said, it was mostly worried about people who are in the Santa Cruz vicinity. So we're not so much worried about people who are actually gone, you know, where we have enough information to know that they're gone. So for students, um, and I actually kind of jumped down, I didn't catch, mm -hmm. I, bust, I, I remembered students, but I, that says student work here. So I'm not going in order of the slide here. But for students, we're dealing with, you know, the active students, so faculty and staff are dealing with the active faculty and staff, the leaves are pretty much excluded. Um, for the student workers, we, I mean, there's always an issue, do you call a student worker a student, do you call them an employee? I know they're in there in st as students, actually I should have followed up because I'm not 100% certain that they wouldn't also be available as employees. Because then they show up as a duplicate. Okay, so it's, it's, not, it's not the group membership. And then the RAs, we talked about that we had to use an external database because the ETPS Title codes weren't enough, uh, the RA duty phones, um, the separations. We left out everybody who's not there, leaves, talked about that. Summer sessions and non-degree, what about you know people who are not full-time students? And again, based on that we want people who we think are present at the university, we, want, we included them. Um, emeriti, which really means emeriti faculty because none of the sort systems track other emeriti, uh, were included. And then we have this catch-all, which is sundry, which is there's no, this is in the identity management system, we call them sundry. So someone no longer has an official source system recognized affiliation with the university, but we want them at an account, you might call it a guest account, whatever. Um, like a for a temporary, or, like I came on and worked for the university for two months as a, as a temporary employee through a temp agency. So I had an email, but I couldn't have put my other. But even employees, because that's a status, it's not a, it's not a, it's not like your account changes, it's the status changes. So an employee who leaves but is still going to be helping answer the phone, or, you know, ha helping answer email for six months or whatever might get an extension as a sundry account. Um, so we included those mostly because we didn't really have a way to distinguish for sundry account holders should, who should be included and who should not. And it's not so much that that was a real decision that we wanted sundry. Um, and then the visitors and conferences, right now they all get generic accounts. So there's not, we don't have, again, we don't have a good way to contact them, so we push them out to a future phase. And with parents, um, kind of that we, there's, they're not in any of the data flows so far either. So while the, the AIS system has some information about parents, parents don't currently log into the student system, they don't enter any data. And so there, that's, it's just a bigger overhead to even would the students enter the parent info? Would parents enter the parent info? Um, and what kind of issues might you run into if a student enters a parent's info where the parent didn't want to be on and all that sort of thing. So. Yeah, so we're not officially supporting any par parent notifications, although uh, as I peruse through the data, um, there's some you know students that have a cell phone in there and then the local landline is actually not very local. Um, so it's in Tahoe or down here or LA. Chances are that's a parent number. So we haven't excluded those. If, I mean, I don't care. We'll, we'll, we'll let them know. But <laughs> yeah. Well, these are mostly these are in the identity management system. The the two exceptions are there any others? The, the well, the RAs you don't the have. The RAs are all. I mean, they're they're in the identity management system as are, but they're not in there as RAs. So Right, except for the RA duty phones, which are manually added. Right, so so basically, or the, the one other clarification would be, 
if you remember the previous slide, the, the directory data, some of it bypasses the identity management system. So in that case, it might be from that source that the content came from. But it is how we keep it up to date. So uh, if somebody separates from the university, uh, you know, they quit their employment, as soon as they are no longer active via PPS, they drop out of our system. So we don't have to do any kind of manual cleanup. It doesn't get it get, doesn't get dirty. If there's a new person, they automatically get in. Or the same thing with students. If a student leaves, drops out after three weeks or however long it takes for the registrar to case them out of the AIS system or give them a different flag, then they drop out of our system and we don't notify them anymore. So that was one of our early things because you could tell with any system where it's people sign up, you know, three years down the road, and you're going, I'm notifying 50,000 people, and I've only got 20,000 on campus. So. Okay, so um, probably a lot of this we've kind of talked about. So we knew we had, you know, where we were going to get the names. We wanted to reuse. Um, we wanted it to be complete. We wanted it to be timely so that it was, um, you know, kind of updating itself. So it's how we, we, we chose to, you know, go ahead and pull from PPS and AIS as our ruse via IDM. So we'd reuse that data. Um, email accuracy, we just pull that straight out of their system. We don't have anybody entering their emails other than, you know, if they put a secondary one in. And I guess we could probably have them enter it twice like you see on a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, signups for Facebook or on any of those. Now they have you enter your email twice and that's probably would be a continuous improvement item that we could add in there. Um, let's see, we do do some area code checking when we upload to Warren. They can kind of see if there's any validity. Just having the three sections for people entering their phones helped a lot with getting all, you know, the area code, the suffix, and the and the number. Um, and then we did from a warn. We had we had a problem where with usually happened when we change, um, um, go from one quarter to another quarter. For some reason, we were getting duplicates in warn. So they can they also create an a warn ID. And we're now feeding that back to our system. So, you know, June 22nd, when we go from, from uh, this quarter into the summer quarter, we'll see if that, if that fixed our problem. But we think we, ha we, think we had that fixed. Um, this is the broadcast. So what the broadcast system does, it, just phone, it, it has a lot more trunking capacity to be able to get phone numbers out quickly. But all it has is phone numbers. It's just a list of phone numbers. So. Um, what we have Warren do is they these, these top ones are lists that we get a, an extract nightly out of out of um, Warren command. So the mass notify is just like all phone numbers. So you can see under entries we have 28,351 phone numbers, um, at least on the June 11th when I pulled this. Um, then we have active work phones, active home phones, and active mobile phones um, in separate. So our emergency manager can just say, I, I just want to call, you know, all mobile phones. And they can just use this list to call, to, but they're all voice calls. It's not the text messaging. Text messaging all comes out of the warrant command product. Um, and then these are the three that we kind of do um, manually. So we'll do all campus phones. We don't add and subtract phone numbers all that often. Um, so we're, we said we'll just do that on an annual basis. We'll just get an extract of all the phones and load it in there. Um, and we used it mainly for testing, stress testing of our phone system, which we we found some interesting things in our stress testing. That's not what this talk is about. That would be a whole nother one. But. No, this is just the residence hall numbers. Yeah, well, this is all the numbers regardless of if they have a phone hooked up. So they have phone numbers into the rooms, even, and they're they're active, but you don't they don't necessarily have phones yeah, hooked up. Yeah, and we may end up, you know, I, and that, that's kind of why these got put in here because you know I had discussions with our our emergency manager whether this was important. He kept saying it's really important. I go, there's nobody has phones in their rooms. I said. You know, the registrar is making people do it, and you talk to the registrar, she says, well, we're, we're telling them to do it, but nobody's checking. We're not kicking them out if they don't have phones. And yeah, yep. You have to pay. Yeah. Um, yeah, because they're all hooked up. We just leave them in. They're part of the network. We have a whole network phone system, which we, we changed over to, to at the beginning of this year. So... 
And then the duty phones, I just add those in, there's 25 of them. And then we're in command, we actually, I created, you know, RA at Crown College, RA at, and just loaded them as people into there. But it was only 25, it took me 20 minutes or something. Um, and then the all-campus ones we kind of talked about, but that, that'll ring everywhere. When we stress tested that, the phones were going off all around campus. It was kind of fun. Mm -hmm. Yep, and we had to work back with AT&T because they were coming in. We had like three incoming trunks and they were all coming into one. And we'd never, they'd never stress tested. They weren't supposed to do that. It was supposed to be able to route through three. So we had, had to fix that with AT&T. Um, they, w well, we were, we tweaked it. So we would like do, do a small port portion at 200 a minute or whatever they do. And then that was kind of overloaded. And then we, we, I think we're setting it at like 150 a minute now. Um, you can set it up when you do the notification, whether you want to leave a voicemail or not. Yes. Um, yeah, we had, we, when we did our testing, we had Warren on the line as well as our phone guys yeah. watching what was coming in. Right. And it would, he could see when it would get swamped, and so that's where the testing was. Was it matching pretty much what Warren was saying in terms of the, the rate? Yeah, yeah. Well, Warren really doesn't care. They just send out whatever they're doing. Right, it was more, the issue was more our ability to, get even to receive them. No, that's yeah. At that rate. Right. Yeah, and that, there again, that, that's where the voicemail part of it comes in. Well, that was my point. Yeah. There's, uh, yeah, well, because they have to finish. So if you're leaving a voicemail, even though you're, 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 you have to listen to the person's, right. you have, that was where the delays were. If people yeah, had on their voice. I'm saying, so yeah. That's, that's what somebody had yeah. a 30 second greeting on their voicemail. Then, that, then you're leaving the message, right? Yeah, so it couldn't start again until that finished. Right. You think you're only leaving a 20-second message, or you can get it into that into that 30 seconds, but it has to listen to the person's so outgoing message first. Yep. For us, no, if we have a message, it talks us through the message it's asked to get out. That's yeah. separate from. Well, I mean, we did, from we did two separate tests. We did a stress test just for how many ports we wanted, and then we did a full campus test just for like a minute and a half ago. And what we found out is during the stress test. To go through, yeah. Yep. Yeah. You get a lot of pretty, I'm, I'm, that's not what this was, but there's lots of pretty good data that you can get back from their system. You get graphs and all kinds of stuff of could I leave it, could I not leave it, how long was the message, that's how you can start to tell. I know I have a 20-second message. I give it, you know, five seconds on either side, but these calls are taking a minute and a half, and, you you know, you do a couple little tests, and you call, and you go, Hi, I'm on vacation this week. Call Sue for this and Mary for that and Bob for this. It's like, oh, it's a minute. We got greedy, and that's why the phone had to wait until it listened to well, So, and, and there was some learning curve on that because there's a, there's a time that's allocated for that retry. Right. And that time isn't the time after the initial attempt, it's the time between when it does its alert and when it starts that list again. Right. So we took that, it wasn't set to like 10 or 15 minutes by default, and we took it down to about three seconds. Yeah. So that it was basically just to get this thing, and then we, we went trying. to three, three retries. Three is the default in the system too, I think. Because we had we, we recently in our May uh, suspicious package we didn't we left it at three, 
and it sent everybody triplicates. <laughs> so that was the biggest complaint is I got three text messages, three emails, recall. So we now have uh, set up those templates so it's different. And we're looking at to them to see if they can change the default from three to one. Um, the, the one thing that we're still kind of debugging is on email. We had a lot of emails. They came when we did our email stress. They they came. Uh, most of them came in like within. They all got sent within like ten, ten minutes, or um, and they came in pretty much within the first twenty minutes. And then we had another batch that would come in, and another batch that came in like three hours later. So we're thinking it has something to do with. We tell them to delay. If we get too many from like one one domain, then we we t the email system says you know, slow down, they're coming in partly to, to protect spam, I guess, or something. Right. Um, and then and then they put a delay and then they'll try again. But we can't, f w they're working on it, hopefully today, of who, where is that delay set? Is it a set to three hours? Can we set it to 20 minutes or 10 minutes? Um, it, so that we got it in three hours is a good thing. <laughs> Yeah, well, Erica, he's willing to work on it, but he doesn't think it's something that we send. We think it's on their side. Yeah, they're not happy. I mean, part of the question is, I mean, it's, a, it's a soft mail failure um, that, that turns to a hard mail failure at four days. But are you, I mean, I don't, I don't know that you get to say try again in this amount of time. Frequently, the default is if, if you get a soft failure, try again. And we, so we think that's on the Warren side, but his first question to to his engineers was, no, it's not on our side. So we kind of went back and forth, and now we're getting there, you know, the engineer that gave the answer versus the manager and our engineers talking together. Yeah, they were supposed to do that. We have a similar issue, and, and our, we have a problem with Yahoo when we try to send communications out that they will block the amounts that they take from us. Uh, so, like, when we send emergency messages out, they will get to the campus mail addresses within a few minutes. And uh, it's all on server. So my guess is, if you're talking about the Santa Cruz server, how much it will take, I suspect that's on on the Santa Cruz side. Yeah. But the delay time between when it gets sent again, when the when the retry is, right. Cause, cause oh, the retry, the retry time we think is on. <laughs> can your mail server uh, accept from this domain? I will accept traffic. Yeah. You, you can hey, do you stuff like that, but that's yeah. We we can't do it quite like that. We couldn't set it just to let this one domain come through, and they come through at different addresses, even though they're kind of right, the right. same. So we're kind of getting a little off topic. So right, let us get back going. <laughs> but we're almost we're almost done, and I think when we got ten minutes, I think we're in good shape. So. Um, these were our results, so you can see from a um, campus email, our goal was 100%. We had that at launch by design because we just pulled everybody's emails in, um, and that stayed at 100%. Student cell phones, um, it was you know the goal was 74% at launch. We only had 23% because that returning student piece, but now we're up to 83 because they have to put something in. Um, student, local landline, um, you know it was just inaccurate, untimely, invalid <laughs> when we started, um, and we're up to 63% now of students that have ha have that number in there and they only have to have one or the other um, staff and faculty office numbers um, when we when we started only about half of the half of the faculty or staff and faculty had numbers in our directory if you if you go through our printed directory only about half of the people in there have phone numbers in um, so that's where kind of where we were at launch and we're up to 71% of them putting numbers in um, and the 100% is through broadcast. So we, because we dumped all the numbers in, we, we can get to them whether they put it in the directory or not. So this is your data collection. Right. Different talk. <laughs> Maybe next year. Um, and the same thing for staff and faculty is still relatively low. I'd like to get, I'd like to see that get up. We only have about 25% of staff and faculty cell phones and home numbers. So that's just an outreach, and I think we just need to do more marketing. And um, I th it'll be interesting to see what it is now because this was pulled um, before our May test and our May alert. And I think every time something happens and people go, 
I don't remember getting that email or go sign up or now the posters will make more sense and maybe they'll go do it. So I was going to pull a, another one, but I didn't b between May and June. I have to admit that I didn't find myself sign up for it until after the, May. the actual work. <laughs> and he's uh, part of the system. Yeah. So. Um, and I think this is the status of where all the different campuses are. So um, Davis has Warren, Berkeley has Warren, um, San Francisco Med Center um, just deployed in, in eight, just recently. Um, we have Warren, Merced, I think is, is going to use Warren. I'm not sure if they've deployed yet or not. Um, and and Irvine, Irvine's, I'm not sure where they're, I know they got demoed early, but I think they made a different choice. So this is kind of current status of who's using what. Um, and then from a method standpoint, so there's kind of three different methods if you think about it. One is kind of, you know, a mandatory system where you're pulling, you're just pulling data and, and they can opt out similar to, to, our, to our student data. Um, there's an, a purely opt-in, you know, where you just, Warren will set up a, a, you know, a website people can just go sign up for. I think the Santa Barbara system is similar to that. You have to go sign up for it. Um, or some kind of hybrid. So we cho chose the hybrid, kind of talked about it. it's man mandatory for the UC-owned account. So everybody's going to get emails. You're going to, you know, your office and numbers in there, whether you like it or not. Um, the student resident numbers are in there. So we can, not that you're going to get to more than 30 of them, <laughs> but they're, they're all there. And then there was a mandatory um, with opt-out for the student numbers and the employee, faculty, and staff um, personal data is all opt-in. They have to go in and put it in the system. And so the comparison results. Um, so I, I know I claimed when I when I wrote my proposal for this talk was that we were doing better than everybody, but I didn't really know until uh, last week when I, when I actually collected more data. Um, but I think we're still we're still doing pretty good. So I got um, data from Davis since most of you guys are from, are from there. So we're at 100% email, office phones about 25%, cell phones about 26%, um, and that was from stuff I got from. Um, Valerie, and then there's places that I just don't, I didn't have contacts for, so, you know, I'll continue to, to look at this, and we can send it back out. If you guys leave me a note or send me a note, grab my business card on the way out, um, I'll update it. Questions there? So you can configure it to a certain extent. It does say from Cruise Alert. Um, still getting people to recognize what that is on campus was, um, they still go, what, what's that? You know, you think we have posters everywhere, but, but so you can configure it. Um, the, war the, the cell phone numbers come in as, Janine, tell us, the answer is some weird number. Yeah, so we'll have to, and you can tell it phonetically. You can spell some things out in, in the in the WARN tool, and you can pick different voices. So you can pick female Australian or male British or American male or some things like that. So, yep. No. Well, you had to be whitelisted. So there is, from an email standpoint, um, we have there all the, you know, they gave us a list. Of, they, they use up to like five IPs. So those are whitelisted. And so if it comes from someplace else, it'll, it'll, it could get tagged as spam. But on the text phone, you know, somebody else tried to send one to you as a joke and yeah. configured their phone. You know. Yeah, I don't know.
And there was probably a little delay though, because Chris. Yeah. So we sent emails out at the same time. So I'd say it's always a good, you know, if you're going to do text messaging, send an email at the same because because if people are getting from from multiple places, um, then they're they're going to believe them. Well, it'll just wait until, you know, it'll let the phone ring. I mean, well, you can, you can tell, we did, I'm trying to remember, when we did our first testing, we dialed some of that in because, bec so that it would, because we wanted it to follow, right? So we had, I think originally it was set up to like three, three rings or four rings, and we were getting some that, you know, there were no, an there were a lot of no answers. And when I would call, they were people that were working from home and had their phones forwarded, so we changed it to like five rings. So that it would follow, it would get to the next one. But also, the, our campus—I mean, maybe they've changed it now. But I mean, when I had a couple months ago, they—they they don't. We don't publicize really a lot how we forward the phone to them outside of the PDF form. So usually, it's an immediate convert. So there's not there's not as much delay. It, 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 every call center actually has that information. <laughs> right. But um, it sounds to me There were hardly any, so the, yeah, so the fire department works on, they were the only, the police don't work on pages, the, the fire department did, and he just put those in for, you know, our fire department's not huge, so he just put those in separately. Yeah. No, yeah, it's all it's all like continuous improvement going back to a, a right there on the key takeaway. So, you know, if you want to build data quality and understand what those fundamentals are, build it into your project early. So keeping that goal in mind, pulling the right team together, setting goals early, you know, so you know what you're working against. Um, knowing where your schedule is, you have to optimize, you can't optimize everything. So knowing what you want to optimize against. Um, and if there's any, you know, releases, like we ran into the AIS release, um, making the, the, the right DQ decision, at least at the time. Um, measuring your results gives you opportunity to improve and show those and then continuously improve. We'll all keep learning. So that was it. No, we just need we um well with UC Re with UC Ready there there are some drop downs to where you are on campus so we kind of are using that as a as the opportunity to standardize. general area is it your building plus 
find we kind of just punted on it and haven't gotten back around to it. But that's it's the same kind of question about what was you know, do you just want data in the box or do you want this thing on the <laughs> Yeah, so uh, so we will end up putting it in the system as part of phase two, which we haven't really scoped. I mean, I have I know what we want to do. I'm not necessarily going to be the project manager on it, so we have to kind of, I have to close this part, and I haven't quite closed it yet. Next week, hopefully, I'll close my part of the project, and then we can work on phase two. Yeah. Pretty big, yeah, spread out. You want to know if there's a fire on there. We are, we are, we are out of time. I'm happy to stick around, but the next class is starting to to uh, come in. So please fill out your your uh, questionnaires if there's some special topic for next year. I'd be happy to. That's good.